0: The following program is a repeat of The Farm Show, which airs Thursday nights on KCLR from 7. Brought to you by tierlawnfarmlife.com This is The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to
1: you with thanks to tierlawnfarmlife.com
2: Welcome to the Farm Show. The ploughing provided plenty of ammunition and information and reference points. ...for this evening's programme. And of course, KCLR, we're, we're uh, broadcasting from there for the all of the three days jam-packed, so we borrowed a bit from their conversations and we included some of our own and anything we can fit in over the next uh, hour up to 8 late o'clock. Later on, we hope to be speaking with Thomas Ryan of Tearlon. Elsewhere, there's an interview with Anya O'Connell, of an IFA dairy executive, about a women in dairying farm walk that's happening down in uh, Ballyhale, actually, uh, next week. We have a Kilmagani soap maker listening in for that. Uh, there's innovations, as I say, we'll get to those in a moment. And we hope to have the final days of the Plough Winners. We'll have the previous two days, and if they're broadcast in time, we'll bring you them uh, as soon as we get them before 8 o'clock. Livestock Reports, of course, Making a Will, Central Bank Analysis of Farming Economics. Uh, Let's see what we can fit in. But first of all, let's start with uh, the Innovation Arena and a chat with James Maloney of Enterprise Ireland. One of the biggest innovations at the cloughing in recent years has been the development and popularity of the innovation arena. James Maloney of Enterprise Ireland joins me. I'm not over-egging it, James. It's been hugely successful.
3: Absolutely, Matt, and uh, this year is no exception. Uh, It's phenomenal, the growth in the last couple of years, and uh, it surprises us, uh, the level and the quality of the innovation that's coming, and we're delighted to nurture it and foster it.
2: Yeah, and it's just where we need to be in Ireland in terms of the economy is developing indigenous, uh, enterprises.
3: Yeah, I think so. Uh, and that's, that's our mandate. Like, and, uh, this, this, this week we had 40 international buyers in from 10 countries and, um, apart from the weather, uh, Matt, they were absolutely blown away by the Irish hospitality and the interaction with themselves, the farmers and the companies here at the National Plowing Championship was absolutely amazing.
2: Listen, I strolled around the uh, the arena, the innovation arena earlier, and I must say I was very impressed. Who won the awards?
3: Uh, the, the big winners, I suppose, uh, or the big winners was uh, GrassMax um, using satellite technology to measure grass uh, and put that information then straight on to, to the farm on a paddock-by-paddock basis and an average value of the, the grass um, kgs of dry matter per, per hectare for the farm as well. Uh, now, it's a, you know the job, uh, Matt, of walking grass. It takes a bit of time. So moving that on in automation in terms of uh, digitalization of the sector and feeding into pasture-based, uh, it's a big step forward. Uh, and hopefully they will crack it in the, in the coming months when it goes on to market.
2: Hugely, um, hugely impressive, I have to say. Th- th- throw another few at me.
3: Uh and the other the other one the other winners then of the best startup, is Provi. Uh and these these are a phenomenal uh group of researchers and as a spin out from U C D Nova, uh Jerome and the team are um, looking at the image analysis again taken from Satellite smash. Uh, and it's also been able to predict uh, what nutrients are needed on the farm and then uh, estimate the, the crop for the biodiversity, uh, for yield performance. And again, on the digitalisation journey, which was a big theme on the innovation arena and sustainable farming and how we're going to transition and meet the targets that are set out in the coming years so we can have a, a, a profitable future in all aspects of farming.
2: What I saw, James, and correct me if I if I'm not right, is that not only had most of the exhibitions and, and, and initiatives uh local or nat- national applicability, there's also export potential there.
3: Yeah, Matt and um, last year now we have the numbers done um for this year. Uh but it was very, very encouraging the interaction. Now la- just last year uh we did three and a half million of exports straight from the innovation arena and we we companies sell products as far away as Bangladesh. Um I think they're looking as Ireland as a as a lead in terms of we have a great reputation for producing high-quality food, uh, and now we're developing a reputation as developing a really, really co- strong agri-tech uh, ecosystem, uh, and the foundation has been laid by companies like McHale and Dairy Master, who have who've paved the way for it, and, and now there's a new tr- new kind of emerging trend of entrepreneurs that are, that are developing the tech that is traveling. I think we're in 140 countries, which is no mean feat for a country of our size.
2: I get the impression, James, that people want to be in that innovation arena now. They reckon it's the showcase opportunity.
3: we had a, a huge football match. Uh, now, partly down to the weather as well, Matt, we have a fully enclosed arena, but um, we are still busy here now and, uh, and it is a phenomenal success for us. Uh, and I think the companies really appreciate the chance to, to come uh, and exhibit and be part of the competition. Um, it means so much to them. And when they win the award, it means so much to teams that develop it in the factories uh, when they go back. Uh, and uh, it, it is a, a great incentive uh, to develop further infre- innovation and pursue and and really foster that um, theme of development in the industry.
2: James, I appreciate your time very much. Thanks for reporting in on this year's Enterprise Ireland Innovation Arena. Thank you, Matt. And as I say, the innovation arena itself was a great innovation. I have to say, one of the great things that developed out of uh, the ploughing in recent years. Now, let's uh, chat to Thomas Ryan, Sustainability Manager with Tearland. Thomas, I met you up at the ploughing. You were busy as a beaver and uh, so much to see. I dare say you didn't see it all.
4: No, I didn't, Matt. And look, thank you. And it's great to talk to you you and your listeners Um, again. I didn't see it all, but I had the opportunity to have a quick walk around, starting at the back where there was... People forget that, that there was pony games, there was chase hunt, hunt chases, there was, there was the ploughing was actually there and some of the younger people are on the amusements. And then you move right up through the stands where all the, the business is being done. And then you move through the political parties, the farming organisations and you come across then up to our own stand, as you say, the Tierlawn stand where I met you. And even on our own stand, there was great level of discussion and debate over the three days. Whilst ground conditions were soft underfoot from Tuesday, but improved really during the week from then on, you know, the topic of the day was really the nitrates and the move to 220. For the farmers who were affected, Matt, they were asking themselves what it meant, how would they manage around it, but also wider concern, maybe, you know, the farmers who aren't affected, wondering where land rental markets might go and, 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 and how it's all going to play out on our own stand. As, as I was saying, we briefly said hello to each other because we had farmers signing up to the 2020 Beef Club, the Farm Gen Solar offering, and interestingly, a couple of our our urban friends were even signing up to to, to mymilkman.ie to get their to get to get their milk delivered to the door. So it was a busy few days. Um, and the other thing I think that 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 farmers appreciated on the tier lawn stand was every day over the three days we were there helping them uh, declare their actions for the sustainability action payment, conscious that some of our suppliers maybe. Mightn't be so good on the laptop at home, mightn't have that help, and I think that sort of support was appreciated. Mood was generally good. I mean, despite the rain, despite the the soft underfoot, you know, uh, the 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 great resilience of the sector just kept coming through over the three days, and indeed got better as the weather got better too.
2: Yeah and uh, just to delve into a few of those issues uh, Thomas uh, you mentioned the, the the soft underfoot conditions and that, <laughs> that's understating it in terms of the car parks but listen everyone got in and everyone got out there were some delays but I think most people understood you know that that's what happens when you <laughs> when you bring a festival to 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 the middle of a field in the middle of Ireland uh, in in a wet autumn but this wet autumn has implications for getting work done by deadlines and that's often not easy obviously when you're working to a calendar slurry spreading has to cease at a predetermined date there is a suggestion that there could be an extension because grass is still growing strongly and that's the real determinant of, of whether you should spread slurry or not because it can be taken up by the plant. What's the state of play?
4: Yeah I tell you look, news hot off the press for you and your listeners this evening uh, the department, Minister McGonlough, um and uh, uh, the other minister responsible for the nitrates the Minister for, 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 for Housing Planning and Local Government both of them have confirmed that the slurry spreading uh, date has been pushed out. The closing the closing date for the slurry spreading has been clo- has been pushed out until the 8th of October. So to say to your listeners now this evening, and um, that that has been confirmed by the Department of Agriculture, they have they have an extra week, albeit only a week. They have an extra week now uh, before the the closing date for the spreading of slurry commences. It's important to to consider that because. Look, we want to have the fields in as good a condition when we're back out grazing in the springtime again and cause as little compaction, as little damage as we can. The last couple of days have been really challenging, as has a good share indeed of the summer. And and, and just to say to your listeners, the slurry spreading closed period has been extended out now. It doesn't commence now until the 8th of October. So there is a window there to allow maybe some, to, to allow the land improve if it can any bit over the next couple of days before um, 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 uh, you finish off maybe getting getting that round of, of slurry out. So look, that's good news for your listeners. Decision was only announced late this evening. So it's fresh news for, for, for our, all our KCLR listeners.
2: Yeah, and I won't look at if in the mouth of it probably would have been a little more practical. But every bit helps, and especially as farmers trying to get graze out fields and then spread slurry, and you know that's that's the optimum um, methodology. But listen, we'll ta- we'll take everything we can get in terms of trying to get through work. You mentioned sustainability actions, Thomas. Hugely important at the best of times to gather in any funding you can, but in a year of very, very low milk prices uh, collapse almost, if not if not indeed a, an entire collapse of prices. Very important to try and um, uh, gain that funding from the sustainability programme.
4: That's right, Matt. Um, and, and all your listeners will be well familiar now with the sustainability action payment. This is a half a cent a litre that Tear suppliers receive when they go onto their tier Lawn Farm Life account and they declare seven actions from a menu of 18 that they're taking on their farm, on average, to a tier lawn supplier, it's worth about 3,000 euros, that half a cent a litre. As a co-op, it's an annual commitment of 18 million euros a year. So look, pr- the, the markets are changing right now. That's been reflected in in the milk price being paid to suppliers. There is an ability here to lock in a half a cent a litre again for next year um, and to make sure Look, a, a, a euro earned, a euro saved is as good as a euro earned. Go onto your farm life account, lock in your seven measures to, to get your half a centiliter. The other call out maybe when I have the opportunity to talk to you is around the Sustainable Farming Academy. The diploma and um, 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 students will be starting their studies in the next two weeks. But for but for, for 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 family members of our suppliers, who are beginning, who've begun now their level eight degree studies in agricultural science in either. UCD or UCC, the Southeast Technology University, that being Carlow or Waterford, um, or Dundalk Institute of Technology. There's a thousand euro bursary for each of them institutes for any of our uh, family members of, of of our suppliers that are commencing level eight degree studies. Get in an application. You'll see all the details there on tierlawnfarmlife.com You get you get all the details there. It's a wonderful opportunity, and I think look as as Tirloin for us to be able to stand in beside. Um, um our suppliers and to be able to offer some level of support um at this look we, we hear about the, the challenge with accommodation and affording it and even i know myself look college is an expensive time um so look for for too long co-op to be able to stand in and support our suppliers in a small way on that closing date is the end of october so i'll give it a mention maybe maybe again a final mention next month there's a bursary there look be in and give yourself every chance, hopefully, if you, if, you, if you have a son or a daughter um, who's beginning their degree studies in agricultural science in any of them four.
2: One of the big talking points at the ploughing, uh, Thomas, uh, was the whole nitrates derogation reduction. Bear with me a moment, will you? I I happen to record, I was standing beside a man I know well, Johnny O'Brien from Barry Row in West Cork, and he addressed the Minister briefly on the issue, and perhaps it summarises the situation for an awful lot of people. Uh, Will you play it there, Martin, please?
5: Brian, I'm Vice-Chair of the Barry Row co-op which is on the Timalee catchment area. Now, it's the opposite end of the country, but I'm sure you're readily aware of it. There's been a 40% increase in cow numbers. I'd more than welcome you to come there. But the first we heard of clarity on coming back to the 220 was two weeks ago. And please don't tell me that we should have known last February or March. So I'm going to ask you, what's going to happen to 40 or 50,000 cows that are surplus to requirement? What's going to happen to surplus stainless steel that's in all the milk processing plants that we were asked to invest in? There's a 30% less chemical nitrogen being used in the Barry row Cooperative Area. The water quality in the Timothy catchment has, in, has stabilized, has stayed the same for the last number of years despite the 40% Uh, increase in cow numbers. So what you are proposing and what you haven't fought for, what your officials didn't fight for at European level, is going to make jack shit difference to water quality. And if we come back to 170, unfortunately, it's going to make no difference to water quality at all. So I think you need to get fighting and your officials need to get fighting. We need to retain 250 to keep Ireland viable as a food producing country. We're a dairy, food-producing country. We're feeding a lot of the world. So we need to get real here. But there's a serious moral issue with the 40 or 50,000 cows that were impregnated last February, March. And don't tell me that people knew then. They didn't. Because if I didn't know, nobody else knew it.
2: Thomas, the, the frustration in Johnny O'Brien's voice, I think, uh, shows... Uh, the situation in West Cork, but it's a mirror image of Tir Lann, Derrygold, Arivo, anywhere across the country.
4: Um, it, look, it is Matt, and what you're hearing there from Johnny, and I know Johnny is both the passion, right, uh, but also the concern. Okay, there's there there is a significant concern around this move from two hundred and fifty to two hundred and twenty. What does it mean? How do we get an opportunity, an opportunity to plan for it? And even, even as we talk and, um, and have this conversation today, the maps, the maps around the areas that are actually going to be impacted potentially by this move to two hundred and twenty, have yet to be fully published and finalised. So here we are, heading heading out of September into early October. We're being told that this is effective from the first of January next year. And there isn't a level of certainty that that, that farmers uh, around the country know whether they're in or out um, um, with this infamous red co- colour-coding map of Ireland with the red indicating you're in the 220 uh, and the white indicating you, you remain at 250. That final map has yet to be published and produced by the Department of Agriculture and the Department of Environment. So when we hear Johnny and the concerns that he's expressing... When there isn't even line of sight of the level of, of, of the impact, so farmers can assess themselves, am I in or am I out? I think, um, a lot of we, we see what's after happening with the land rental market as farmers, uh, scurry to bring themselves into potential compliance where it slips to, uh, uh to 220. I think it's back now to the Department of Agriculture to continue, uh, to push for the 250 to, to 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 for the for the 250 but also to put in place the necessary measures um, um, to ensure uh, to ensure that they provide the supports for farmers to be able to adopt
2: yeah because some people seem to think that this is only about large scale farming and nothing could be further from the truth your 70 80 90 cow herd is going to be impacted hugely in financial terms and prorata the the the, the processors that they supply i mean this is going to take a lot of thinking out by farmers and by tier land, I would suggest.
4: No, it will, because it's it's too lazy a narrative to say there's only 3,000 uh, dairy farmers affected, which is the narrative that's flowing through at the moment. And by default, Asher, look, they must be the larger scale ones. In truth, the smaller scale supplier with a tighter land base is going to be more impacted and won't have the ability for example to look at contract rearing out sub contract rearing out maybe the heifers or getting you know and um, um, moving on other stock other than the dairy cows that opportunity simply isn't there so potentially for 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 the medium sized supplier and farmer who won't have the ability to mitigate and to reduce the impact the potential only option in that case is a reduction of cow numbers then, so 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 that that's then a direct hit on on farm income, which is a direct hit on the ability to spend in the local community. But I think it's also going to lead to a really quick discussion around how uh, around how do I do more with less? Well, uh, and I know through things like our, our Tierlon with our gain momentum program, very much focused on improving milk solids and fats and proteins. But that won't solve it. I mean, I mean, you know, I say that to you uh, in terms of how Tierlon is trying to. Work with suppliers that may be impacted. The first clarity that's required, what is it that the state is doing right now to retain that, to to retain the derogation at 250, to hold that stocking rate level and to allow the measures, to allow the science the opportunity to work? I mean, we've just come out of the most recent review of the nitrates. You you know, your listeners and we all know about the reduction in the chemical nitrogen use that Johnny rightly referred to, the increased, um, slurry storage requirements, the tightening up around the, the, the application of soiled water, all these are all scientific actions, which when Chagas uh, looked at, prescribed and said take these actions, it will have a benefit but it simply won't have a benefit in six, nine months. It takes a minimum of 18, the science tells us, a minimum of 18 to 24 months from the action taking place to to, to the value of that action being seen in terms of improving water quality. And I think farmers are reasonably asking Give the measures that have been imposed as part of recent review the opportunity to work. I, because right now, sorry, go ahead. Ma'am.
2: Yeah, no, you're okay. I, I, I appreciate. I appreciate the, the direction you're driving in. The problem is we need to see the road before we can drive along it. So, listen, we'll be returning to this, Thomas. I, I appreciate your time in, in, in waiting to come on the line. Take care. The Farm Show on KCLR
0: with Matt O'Keefe,
1: brought to you by TirlandFarmLife.com.
2: I'm standing in front of the Bobar soap stand here at one of the Enterprise Village sites and I'm looking at mechanic soap and there's lemongrass and ground pumice in that. There's another one with lavender in it. There's plain and unscented, that's made with uh, cow's milk. There's also black and white, there's charcoal in that and eucalyptus. Bergamot and basil, basil, whichever way you want to pronounce it is another one. Lemon and mint chime. There's rosemary and lavender. There's carrot juice made with crooked carrots, I'm given to understand. There's honey and oats. And here's the developer of all this. What possessed you to develop a line of soaps and all of such exotic uh, qualities?
0: Uh, well, it all started with my daughter getting eczema when she was around two. And I was looking for a chemical-free a uh, way to treat it. So I uh, read up on the properties, and uh, one of the things you can use is goat's milk soap. So I don't have any goats, but I've got cows. Yeah. And then lockdown hit, and I needed a bit of a project, so we went down a hole of playing with different ingredients and uh, reading up on different properties and we just got a bit carried away
2: but they smell beautifully i mean uh, well okay there's an obvious unscented one and that's deliberate but apart from that some of the scents are just so exotic what possessed you to come up with the idea of of a carrot juice one
0: Well, carrots would be very good uh, for your skin. They've got vitamin A. So all of the carrots that we'd use would be Kilkenny carrots. We're in a a prime produce uh, part of the world. Uh, So they'd all be the the ugly carrots, the ones that uh, wouldn't go for sale. So we use them and make them into juice, and we add that in with the cow's milk. And then in that particular one, we add in poppy seeds, which would be very good at uh, exfoliating. It's the gardener one. So getting that extra dirt off your hands when you've been in the garden.
2: So there's a method in almost all of the, 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 it's not just scent, there's a a purpose, a practical purpose in the ingredients.
0: Every individual one took a lot of research, a lot of development, a lot of trial, a lot of uh, figuring it out. So they've each got their own story. So we, uh, yeah, we just sort of slowly developed it and then it was the case of we had a lot of soap and I uh, said to Brian I was thinking about selling it and if nothing else we'll have a lifetime supply of soap.
2: And of course it's not as if you needed occupational therapy, you have plenty to be doing <laughs> with the kids and the farm and Brian and yourself of course dairy farming out in Kilmegani. so there was already plenty going on.
0: Yeah, well I suppose it, it started in lockdown and i had the three kids they were all sort of young i think the uh, youngest was sort of seven months so i was looking for sort of a project to occupy my brain that didn't involve mr tumble or changing nappies or going on nature walks so i needed a bit of a grown-up headspace so that's where it all sort of started from and then sure lockdown ended and life takes over so you sort of just keep the ball rolling and go from there? I wouldn't know
2: a whole lot about soap except how to how to how to use it and get up a good lather and, 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 and that. But I have to say this took my grabbed my imagination when I saw it. I think it has huge potential. You have ambitions for it
0: it's just sort of a case of we're going to walk before we can run and see how we get on with it as you say sort of a uh, full-time farming and kids and things so we're we're getting there we're just sort of getting our name out and it was sort of great to come up to the ploughing now and just sort of uh, I know that sort of the locals would know about us and we're sort of slowly expanding to let the rest of Ireland know about us now
2: and I, I particularly like uh, the branding and uh, and the paper cover I'll add the Friesian cow maybe that's accidental yeah.
0: no 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 that was all on purpose. That took uh, three weeks of back and forth with the fella in Dublin trying to describe what cow print was and that it didn't have jagged edges on it. And that's printed with uh, using vegetable ink, so it takes around four weeks to dry. And so it's all uh, biodegradable, food grade. So
2: it ticks those sustainability boxes in a big yeah. way.
0: Well, we sort of we started off that we wanted to be completely sustainable. We wanted all natural ingredients. We wanted to stay away from palm oil, and those sort of additives. So we we've done that. So here we
2: are what's nothing like about
0: it I tell you
2: Carlo Kilkenny KCLR Anya O'Connell Dairy Executive with IFA there's a big meeting a women's meeting if I could put it that way happening next week Uh, tell me all about it
1: yes thank you Matt and thank you for having me on your show we are having a Dairy Women Ireland event it's part of our autumn series on Imelda Kinsla's farm in Ballyhale in Kilkenny on the evolution of women's roles on dairy farms we're delighted to have it on Meldis' farm Meldis is an amazing uh, role model for the industry and we would welcome everyone to attend
2: yeah I've spoken to Sandra Hayes of Chegisk about the whole concept of women in dairying coming together to form a, a formidable block and indeed to, to to provide peer support if you like
1: Exactly, it's all Dairy Women Ireland is all about empowering women. It's all about an education and support network, helping each other build our roles on, in the dairy sector. We all know that women are play a very vital role in the sector, but sometimes it's a silenced, invisible role. And we are here to make sure that women are recognised in the sector and that they are valued.
2: Yeah, because uh, for forever and a day, women were the backbone of many farms, but often not reflected in farm ownership or management, at least observable management decision making.
1: Exactly. And they never got the formal recognition for, for what they did. So what we are trying to do is provide the support there for far, for female farmers to acknowledge their roles, gain confidence in the roles, to assert themselves in their roles and look towards building a more vibrant sector with their with their position firmly in the centre of that.
2: And where do you think the concept can go in terms of a, a national organisation or will it be a series of regional or local groupings?
1: So we have been established now over 24 months and we've had one national conference and we are planning our second national conference, which will be on the 25th of November in Kilishi House Hotel. So we would encourage everybody to look look forward to that event. And we are in the process of preparing regional structures. So we have a national steering committee that is currently made up of 13 volunteers. We work hard to, we've worked very hard to set this up and we are developing four different regions with regional team structures to get into the grassroots level and to get every woman that's involved in the sector, in the dairy sector, involved and engaged to in in what we are going to be doing so we are going to be providing online zoom events and seminars farm walks uh, soft skills and our annual conference is our flagship event yeah just
2: as an overview on your observations uh i think it's refreshing and and the fact that there's a much more open-minded approach now to farm inheritance to farm management and it's it's now much more often the case that the decision is made on on the basis of the person who's most interested,
1: exactly, and the person who is more most suitable, thank God, uh, we are moving away from gender being the priority, and we need to continue to do that. I've been working in the dairy industry now for over ten years thankfully my gender has never been an issue or a problem and I don't want it to ever become an issue or a problem so we need to continue to build on what we've already seen as good movements towards levelling the playing pitch but there is still some issues there that we need to confront and challenge and work towards but thankfully we've turned the tide and we think females are being considered for the succession opportunities. Anya thank you very much. Thank you.
0: The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe.
1: Brought to you by com.
2: Very interesting conversation on the radio this morning and uh, Martin, you explained that it's all legal.
6: Yeah, it was just, it was nice time and, uh, well, I mean, we couldn't not have a a farming aspect to to what was happening on KCLR Live. I mean, as well as the obvious, um, the the ancillary economic activity and all the rest of it, um, one of our sponsors, the premier sponsor of KCLR Live this morning was Poe Kylie Hogan, who are a legal firm and John Hickey joined Brian this morning and naturally The topic of uh, legalities in relation to farm, um, farm legal aspects, wills, power of attorney, that sort of thing. And i just put a couple of clips together just to give an idea. And so it's obviously they don't get into specifics, but food for thought, I think, is the best way of putting it. So here's how we get on.
7: Well, I I suppose the the one item that uh, people from the farming community and every community, I suppose, come to us with every year for the last. so a hundred years prior to my time as well, um, is their wills. Um, And I know probably the vast majority of kind of radio shows that that deal with legal issues, um, a will is always raised in it. So there is something of a broken record in it. But at the same time, if anyone listening doesn't have a will drawn, no matter how much you have or how little you have, it's a very important document to put in place. Um, As everyone will understand, a will creates a scenario whereby you say that when I pass away, this is what I'd like to occur in respect of whom I pass my assets to, and who should take control of ensuring that my assets go to that person. Uh, and again, like th- that's very important, regardless of every, whether you have a very small um, value asset or whether you have a large value asset. I think from um, from a farming point of view, um, wills have become, uh, I'd say, more more complicated. Maybe is, is the best way of describing it over the last number of years and I mean, think that, that particularly arises the fact that a number of farms or farmers have incorporated so up to maybe 10 years ago or so there, there was, it would have, would have been nearly unheard of um, well very very much in a limited um, basis farms were operating through companies whereas now a lot of farms are doing that mm. and an awful lot of people might have drawn wills let's say 20 years ago and their kids were young to the effect that i leave my assets to whomever it might be or if you draw your will to say i leave my land to to john and i leave everything else to paddy in that circumstance the shareholding in your company um that might be running your farm will go to paddy and the land will go to john which is not necessarily um what you want so i think yeah. with the with the way that agriculture has changed over the last um kind of five to ten to fifteen years it's vitally important from every farmer's point of view but they just check in with the solicitor every now and again, even if you have a will. And if you think your will is good, it's no harm to just check in and say, has anything changed? Is there anything I need to be, um is there anything I need to be considering? Um I suppose other than that, a <clears throat> thing which has been, has become more and more topical, again across the board, but um, of, of significant relevance, I think, to the, uh, the farming sector, is enduring powers of attorney. So uh, an enduring power of attorney, it's a document whereby a person confirms that if I lose mental capacity, um, that I'm appointing somebody or some people to kind of take control of me and take on responsibility for making decisions on my behalf and in respect of my um, assets. And unfortunately, we're seeing more and more scenarios whereby people are, are may end up having to into care as they get older on the basis that um, they might lose capacity. And if you don't have an enjoying power of it, it can present significant difficulty to. Um, to your family uh, because it's yeah. th- th- stressful enough on the base that somebody within their family is becoming unwell but then you're wondering well how are we going to pay the bills how are we going to do this that and the other so an enduring power of attorney is a very important document the point on the enduring power of attorney is that how they are dealt with changed hugely in spring of this year so previous to, to April of this year um, in respect of putting an enduring power of attorney in place you kind of need to just tend to your solicitor and your solicitor will put together all the documentation for you serve all the notes and so on and so forth but since April of this year if a person wishes to put an enduring parliamentary in place, it's, it's much more of an online process now um, which might maybe makes loads of sense I'm not sure of the results that they're trying to impose uh, that they're trying to impose a kind of an online return on people who might be all that familiar with um, with online um, but I suppose there's no harm for people to have a look at um, the website is called Decision Support Service.ie. At decisionsupportservice.ie. So, if anyone is considering putting in place an enduring power attorney, it's worth their while looking at that website. Um, they should, because it's it's not like you're talking about a small sum of money either. Like um, farms these days, while some while farms might necessarily be making great deal of profits, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of value in farms, and there's a lot of um, kind of money flowing through them. So, I suppose if there's any commercial decision or any decision they are making that might have any legal aspect to it you should certainly discuss that with your accountant, which I think all farmers would. But in addition, it's certainly worthwhile to have a, have a conversation with your solicitor. And I think, again, um, as I always say to people when they, when they make a will with me, when know, kind of finishing up, I, I kind of say to them, I rely on you that you're, you're clever enough to walk out. If, if something changes in your life or if something changes in, in your um, how you operate your business, just make sure to come back to us and have a chat with us. If at the end of that conversation we say to you, listen, everything is grand, nothing needs to be changed, super. But if at the end of that conversation we say there needs to be something significant change to your will or whatever it might be, then um, the individual is very thankful, I suppose, that they came in and had that conversation. So it's certainly worthwhile having that, that chat every you we know
3: again. And just to wrap, John. I mean, there's an old expression that where there's a will, there's a fight. Normally, um, yeah. and obviously, uh-huh. it's important that people communicate changes in their wills um, to members of the family if they feel, you know, so inclined to do so, um, so that when yeah. they have passed away, um, there's no major shock for anybody. What advice would you give in that regard? I suppose it comes down to the family dynamic. Um,
7: you see, sometimes the rift. In being too open, it's that then you're leading people to believe that um, you're certainly going to get this asset, uh, and then if you change your mind a few years later, later arising from whatever it might be, um, then that can create its own concerns. Uh, I suppose again, with, with the vast majority of my clients, I say to them in the meeting: um, if, if you're lucky enough to have a relationship within your family, that you feel it, so you can have this kind of open and honest conversation and let people know what's coming. I think it's worthwhile having that conversation, but it, it, it's really a personal decision. A lot of people just don't feel comfortable. Um one, talking about debt, which is fair enough. Um and two, um kind of discussing kind of long term plans like that in as open a fashion as that because you just don't know how life might change. But if you are lucky enough to have that, that relationship with your family, it's it's certainly no harm um to have people informed as to what might come. I, again generally I kind of I, I say to clients, um if I'm reading will to people and somebody's passed away from reading will to, to people and people say to me, Yeah, we knew what was in it. Um you kinda of know then that that will is gonna go pretty smoothly because people know people who are prepared for it, if you want to put it like that. Yeah, yeah. It, it does not that's your own individual circumstances
6: so oh. thanks, uh, to, to Brian earlier on. We kind of, um, edited in bits and pieces, but, uh, thanks again to John Hickey from Poe Kylie Hogan for, uh, well, can't be specific. was very general advice. And it does kind of go back to the, the earlier conversation that, that came up in terms of women's farming and a point that Alice Day, uh, Dye made a couple of months back.
2: Matt as well. Absolutely and here's another cherry picked from uh, earlier today. John Purcell, CEO of KCLR and presenter of the Bottom Line podcast interviewed Martin O'Brien, head of Irish Economic Analysis at the Central Bank of Ireland and uh, while he was speaking to him naturally about the Central Bank of Ireland's quarterly bulletin he asked him uh, what analysis says of the relevance to the farming community in economic terms and he also spoke about the economic aspects of Brexit uh, still hasn't gone away and the difficulties arising because of the uncertainty on the legal aspects of it.
8: Well, I mean, it's certainly a challenging, has been a challenging year this year uh, with respect to some of the weather conditions for certain types of farming as we've seen. Um, uh, And obviously some of those input costs that we referred to before, obviously uh, fuel, etc. being a major input and the challenge that they saw with respect to fertiliser prices. Uh, last year and the increase in those, uh, th- those are certainly, you know, uh, things that are, uh, ameliorating. They're not, they're, we're not necessarily going to see as strong increases in, in, prices. Uh, and, you know, uh, as the sort of the adjustment to food prices, uh, evolves as well you know, we, we would expect, you know, there could be some issues with respect to agri-food. One other thing just to note is, you know, obviously important for Ireland is, uh, is the Brexit situation. Uh, and, you know, uh, on the uh, on the Irish export side, we haven't necessarily seen the full impact of Brexit just yet because the UK authorities haven't brought in the full level of checks, so the phytosanitary checks, etc. And I think that's been uh, delayed even further into next year. So that is also something just to be mindful of. There has been already a significant, can shift in the industry and in the sector to, uh, away as much as possible to, to, to try and think about other markets beyond the UK but the UK still remains an important market and it will be a little bit of an adjustment when those checks come in uh, and when the uh, when the UK starts actually imposing those sort of phytosanity checks on on on, on, on uh, agri-food products going into the UK market so um, I mean we we have do we have done estimates overall um Going back when you know when Brexit was start starting to kick off, and yes, it is the case that you know the Irish economy would be you know one to two percent better off if Brexit hadn't had happened. Um, now there have been a number of things put in place uh, since. 2016, and things this was, uh, has emerged, uh, both actions, both by on the authorities level, you know the the issues with respect to you know, the Windsor Framework and these kind of issues to try and you know minimise the the impact uh, on the Island of Ireland with respect to the Brexit in, uh, implications as much as can be done, uh, uh, but but there is undoubtedly the case that you know not having the UK as part of the EU. Um, is worse from an economic perspective than having the UK in the EU. Uh, but broadly speaking, it's not sufficient to you know offset the the, you know, the broadly positive trend underlying long-term trends in the Irish economy that should filter through to, to to both on the agri-food sector and other sectors of the economy as well.
2: Now, enough abstract economic analysis. Back to the day job. We're going over to Tala for Eric Driver's sheep report.
9: Smaller sale today, with just over uh, 1,800 sheep on offer, uh, with many gone to the ploughing. I'm sure. Looking to the prices, though, a good lively trade for those well-fleshed lambs, very much in demand there from the factory and butcher agents, butcher agents especially. Factory lambs there, over 48 kilos, selling there from 140 up to a top call of 152, and a very lively trade. Why we would see the store uh, lamb trade there again, those 30 to 32, 3 kilos, they selling from the late 70s up to the early, uh, up to the high 80s, eighty seven. Euro. And again a good demanding trade there for the quality of Yolam and weather life type lots. With the 37 to 40 kilo lots there they're selling out in the region there from 95 and 6 up to 110 and 12 euro there. One outstanding price there being 38 kilo Yolams making 116 euros cash. Joe trade, no great change. We've seen in the last week or two there, back to where we've seen the whole summer. Uh, selling store, they there selling from 150 to 170 a kilo with the heavy yos pushing up close to €2 euro a kilo and yos topping out today at €220 euros a head. Hoggart Joe trade, no great change there. Hoggart Joe's selling from 170 to 220 there per head with some age yos trees and fours, selling there from 120 upwards but numbers starting to replenish in this section as we see the month of September on. So overall, just to say, a smaller sale, we uh, expect everyone away at the ploughing and we're back on Friday with our cattle sale wingling sale on Saturday and uh, just to say about the weanlings a very lively trade there if you have weanlings get them into Tullow you won't be disappointed thank you
0: The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe
1: brought to you by tierlawnfarmlife.com KCLR
0: Mart Report
5: sponsored by Kilkenny Livestock Mart serving the farming community for over 60 years
2: Now there is a chance that George Candler could be st- still stuck in a car park up in Rathaniska. I'm not at all sure. He can't make a physical presence here to this evening, but he certainly did manage to bring off a report to us. Thank you very much, George.
10: Well, today in Kilkenny there was uh, eight hundred cattle on offer. That's a big increase on in last year, where we had only about four fifty. Um, maybe the reason being the wetter weather and perhaps the fact that many farmers I spoke to uh, weren't going ploughing this year. So, six hundred kilo plus bullocks. They range from two euro ten to uh, three euro per kilo, or a price range of twelve hundred euro to twenty one twenty per head. Five to six hundred kilo bullocks from one ninety to three thirty five per kilo, or price range here. From From 850 to 1850 per head, with a 4 to 500 kilo bullock from 170 to 360 per kilo, or from 890 euro to 1600 euro per head. Under 400 kilo price range here, 180 to 320 per kilo, or from 500 euro to 1150 per head. In the cold cow division, a similar trade to last week, uh, freezing cold cows, a euro kilo to two. 20 with the continentals from, uh, a price range in the continentals from 2 euro. 10 up to 260 for the lesser lights back to about 180. In the beef heifer department, price range here, 230 to 285 per kilo or from 1450 to 1850 per head. Four store heifers from 2 euro 10 to 3 euro 15 per kilo or from 950 to 1500 euro per head with the lighter types from 180 to 298 per kilo or from 560 to 1080 per head so I suppose the best way to sum it up is that plain cattle are definitely more difficult to sell but the quality animals are selling very well and uh, talking about the prices today in Kilkenny the best price was for a Hereford bull, the property of Christy Finn he weighed 1270 kilo and he weighed 2780 euro now on the sheep front on Monday um, the uh, trade would be similar, maybe a little bit less for some of the, the types but lamb from 138 to 162 per kilo the factory type from 120 to 135 per kilo and a top price there of 138 with the store lambs from 65 to 150 euro per kilo, per kilo. apologies about that, the 115 euro would relate to ewe lambs the cast ewes a little bit brighter here 85 to 175 per head with the hoggets from 170 to 240 per head now looking at our diary next week um On Monday next we have our sheep sale that kicks off at 10.15 followed by cull ewes, followed by breeding ewes. We've also the Kilkenny uh, Sheep Breeders Association have their second ram sale on offer there, 44 rams and they are in uh, the 30 of those are eligible for the SIS scheme and they're predominantly Suffolk and Shawley. Now our first autumn dairy sale will be October the 2nd, that's Monday October the 2nd. That week also, we have our uh, first weaning sale. That's Tuesday, the third of October. Entries being taken for both of these sales, and a special event next Thursday at three pm. A sale of a pedigree uh, Charle heifer. This heifer is uh, donated by the Comerford family. Of course, we're remembering Christy uh, Comerford who passed away. So. Uh, you know, early in life and uh, that will be selling at 3pm next week and proceeds from that heifer sale will go to Kushnor and uh, all in all, uh, a great cause to be supported. On the social fund, I, I, I've met a number of ladies who listen to this programme on a constant basis which is nice to hear from you, Matt and Martin and myself uh, but these ladies I met, they were in Connolly's of Dumbbell and they said give us a shout out. So ladies, you who who I met last week in Connolly's on Dumbbell a shout-out to you. But um, that's about it for this week, I suppose. It's um, a busy time, much busier than we are used to on Plough Week. And maybe the uh, a lot of farmers I talked to, actually, this week uh, didn't bother going ploughing for the simple fact that, number one, uh, they were busy enough, I suppose. The weather wasn't very encouraging. And uh, number two, uh, they, they felt as though they've seen enough of it. Now, maybe that's an indication that the ploughing championships, as we know it, is on the wane but for those involved hopefully not because an awful lot of work goes into it so until next week from me um, take care of yourself and as I say on my sign off line good buying good selling good luck
2: I continue to be impressed with George Candler he gets to all kinds of interesting places including and notably Connolly's of Dunbell uh, oh, and I should mention, uh, apropos that uh Central Bank of Ireland interview, the full interview will be available on the KCLR Bottom Line podcast from tomorrow. Meanwhile, next week, another item, on Tuesday the 26th at 11am, there's an organic farm walk out in Cuffs Grange on Finbar and Alex Sheehan's farm. They're suckler to weanlings and tillage, they grow their own feed, they're self-sufficient for feed and they sell on the excess to other organic farmers. And huge and increasing interest in organics and in the number of acres being devoted uh, to that uh, sector of farming I promise you the results I'll do my best to get through them in the time available well, let's start with the overall winner, conventional no surprises there, Eamon Tracy of Carlo. Meanwhile, Jerk Coakley from Cork won the overall reversible. Brian Ireland was a very credible and creditable eighth overall. Uh, and on the first day, let's see what we can get through. Intermediate conventional class, second place for John Murphy of Carlow, just doing the Carlo Kilkenny ones. Under 28, conventional senior plough class, won by Steve Tracy from Carlow, another member of the clan. Under 28, conventional junior your plough, first place for PJ Hartley from Kilkenny uh, third furrow conventional class senior, third place for Richard Keenan of Carlo, intermediate reversible plough second place for Kilkenny's Brian Ireland and a big ding dong between Brian and Gary Ireland uh, yesterday, that was impressive until we talk again farm well, farm safely, good night and goodbye
0: Farm Show on KCLR
1: with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by